Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudman. And we are in a series, if you've been listening to us lately, we're in a series on manhood and womanhood. I think what we have it titled now is Man and Woman, God's Idea, <laughs> which is a little bit of a provocative title, but certainly we uh, intentionally did that. Uh, but hopefully, you know, we've, uh, man, what are we at now? We're at uh, number four, you could say episode number four in this series on man and woman. We started with an episode on hermeneutics, hermeneutical principles, and that episode, we were intentionally ha- wanting it to just to be a brief introduction on, on how we interpret our Bible. Uh, it turned out to be a two-hour episode on its own, just how we interpret our Bibles, because that, that, the, the, that is the bedrock. That's the basis. If, we, if we're coming at the Bible uh, to see what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and we don't know how to interpret our Bibles, well, then we just get into kind of this relativistic well whatever i feel whatever whatever i think it's it, you know it's in the it's in the hands of the reader uh they can decide what they how they interpret this passage and it's just all up to them uh and and so that's an issue like if we just all approach the bible uh however we want to approach it the amount of interpretations are limitless. And that's, in a sense, that's kind of a tenet of postmodernism. There's no inherent meaning in the text. It doesn't matter what the writer intended this to mean. It's, it's all in the, you know, in the eyes of the reader and, and the reader has the ability and the autonomy to interpret uh, the text however they want. And when that happens, then you, you have fallen into relativism. So, we don't worship a relativistic God. We worship a God who is who is objective in in his being. You know, he is the author of truth. When he speaks, it's authoritative, it's true, it's objective, it's right. And he has spoken to us in, in the Bible. He has revealed to us scripture. And he's revealed to us something that he wants us to know and live by and build our life on. So we have we have we had to talk about how we interpret our Bibles. It's a very important thing. So that was episode number one, and if you haven't listened to that, again, if you haven't listened to any of the episodes that have come before this one, please go back. So that was episode number one. Episode number two was, hey, let's look at creation. Let's look at Genesis 1 and 2 and see how did God create man and woman in the beginning before sin came into the world and tainted it and messed everything up and caused conflict and caused division. What was God's good design? Uh, because there was a good design. He's, indeed, he said, this is very good if you go back and look at the text. So go back to that one. That one might be the most, well, you know, obviously it's building on our hermeneutical principles, but, you know, next in progression, man, that is one of the most important spots that you have to have nailed down uh, when it comes to what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman is God's design in creation. And so then... We see in Genesis 3, and we talked about that in that episode too, we see the fall and we see sin come into the world. Now, how does sin affect this this relationship that we have between man and woman? How does this affect man's role, a woman's role? Uh, and, and there's some real consequences that now we are affected by. And we live in a post-fall world where things are jacked up. Really, they really are. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the pattern that God you know, instituted in creation is now null and void. No, we are still to live according to the pattern and to the way we were designed. And when we do that, it's good and it causes human flourishing. So 
What we looked at in the third episode was the Old Testament, kind of a brief survey of the Old Testament. Obviously, the Old Testament is a large portion of Scripture, a very large portion of Scripture. So the amount of, uh, of content that we were not able to address is obviously a lot. So in, in a couple hours, we addressed some of the, you know, what you would consider the the chunks that really kind of people think about when they think about man and hom- womanhood from the Old Testament. So what we see, though, just a summary, is that the pattern uh, and God's design in creation, uh, we see this pattern throughout the Old Testament as well. The, how he designed man and woman wasn't null and void. No, you're still called to live according to the pattern. And the interesting things, when you look at your Bible, what you have to pay attention to is how God uh, what God decided to do, you know, what did God do? God, you know, for instance, we look at the Old Testament, God decided to make the priesthood only uh, a man's role. God decided to make the monarchy or the kingship only a man's role. That wasn't man's decision. It wasn't his choice. It wasn't the choice of the people who would be the king. It wasn't the choice of the people who would be the priests. Uh, it was God's choice. So whenever we see instances where God is choosing something very distinctly and clearly, and this wasn't uh, – he didn't inquire of man how this should be. This wasn't man's idea. This was God's. That's a that's an important thing that you got to keep in mind. So what we see is that God still acted in this world according to his good design in creation before the fall. Um, now – Part of that, too, is we see, you know, even in the garden before the fall and then going through the Old Testament, what we see is that man is on a mission. Man has been given a mission by God from God, and he is to uh, pursue this mission, uh, to to uh, go after this mission, accomplish this mission. And this woman comes alongside him as his helper suitable for him to accomplish this mission. And what we're going to see is that's going to be uh, carried over into the, now the New Testament. So today's episode really is on... Uh, we're starting now our look or our survey of the New Testament as it pertains to man and woman. And specifically today, it's just going to be on the Gospels. Um, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the life of Jesus. How did Jesus view man and woman? How did he interact with men and women? What did he do? And again, this is really important because Orthodox Christianity, biblical Christianity, our whole, you know, faith hinges on this. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. So every decision he makes is one of those, like, you know, Jesus, God is making a decision here, and we know it's for a purpose. He's not just making random, without thoughtful, you know, without thinking about it decisions. Like, no, God is purposeful in everything that he does. And so it's really important to look at the decisions that Jesus makes within the, the you know the, uh, the the gospels. So that's what we're going to look at today. Um and then eventually we're going to move into uh, the epistles, especially looking at the Pauline epistles because Paul tends to say a lot of things about men men and women. Um and you know the rest of the New Testament we might split into two because there's certainly things that Peter says too that we have to that we have to dig into. There's portions of Scripture that are going to take longer to work through than others. Uh, that might be a two part series. We don't know yet. Uh, and then eventually we'll get to application. So that's again just kind of a rehash of what uh, where we're going, where we've been, where we're going. Uh, but uh, that's enough about that. Let's actually get into the Gospels now. So the Gospels. We uh, we know again that uh, 
there was the Old Testament, New Testament. Really, how to think about this is that there was the Old Covenant. The Old Testament is the Old Covenant. It was the story of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people at that time, ethnic Jews. Uh, and God had given the, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, these promises, especially starting with Abraham, uh, to make him a people. And out of this people will come, uh, you know, this person really who will be a blessing to all people. We know that's Jesus. So the new covenant starts, and there's there's also covenants with David. He makes a covenant with David that he will have uh, uh, an heir on the throne for eternity. Uh, and Jesus fulfills all those covenants. Jesus is uh, uh, the seed of, of of Abraham, the seed of David. Um, he uh, fulfills all those old covenants. Um, and all those promises. And so now in the New Testament, God has come. He has taken on human flesh. Um, God, Jesus, will forever be, uh, the second person of the Trinity will forever be man and God. Uh, two natures, one person. It, it, again, a mystery. We call this the hypostatic union. So so we call and then this is the incarnation. So Jesus has come, and he's been born into this world as a baby. This is God. So, really, we don't have much information about Jesus' life before, really, he's 30 years old, before his ministry starts. And that's the nature, in general, of what we call the genre of histor- of uh, ancient biography, which is considered to be the genre of the Gospels. It's ancient biography. When we think of a biography today, we think about, uh, you know, when somebody writes a biography of a person today, they usually try to tell, uh, a, you know, the story and hit on every aspect of their life. Let's talk about their childhood. Let's talk about their upbringing. Let's talk about their their teenage years. Let's talk about their college years. Let's talk about, you know, uh, their career. Let's talk about their family. We talk about all these different aspects of a person's life. Ancient biography was different. It really did just focus on the most significant part of a person's life and then their death. And that's what we see with the biographies of Jesus and the Gospels. It really is. The vast majority of the Gospels are, are, are a zoom in on the, on the ministry, three-year ministry of Jesus, and then his death. And so we're kind of, you know, most of the things that we're, we're looking at are going to be in that, that small window, three to four years. The first thing that we're going to talk about is the fact that, one, Jesus was a man. You know, this is huge. God decides to take on human flesh, to be born into this world as a human being. God has created human beings, both male and female. Remember Genesis 1. Man is in the image of God. Both male and female are in the image of God. So, there's two options, you could say. One, God is always referred to as male in the Old Testament. So you would expect, okay, if there's going to be, uh, if God is going to come into this world as a human being, uh, he's always been referred to as a father or as, as a male figure in the Old Testament. We would expect then, if God is going to be incarnated into this world, he's going to be incarnated into, uh, into the body of a man, which he is. Jesus came into this world as a boy, as a male, as a man, and he will forever be a man. 
It's not like you get up to heaven right now and Jesus is just a somehow neutral thing that's not a male or a female. No, Jesus will forever be a man in, in every sense of what that means. Like, in you know what I'm, uh, hopefully you get what I'm saying. Like, in every sense of what that means, biologically, physiologically, Jesus is male. And, for, and will forever be male. And that is a very, very important thing to realize. And this fits with the pattern of male headship, male leadership, male authority. It fits with the pattern. Jesus is God, so obviously he automatically has ultimate authority because of he because he's God. But in a sense, if he's going to be the leader of this of this of this you know the Christian faith and the in the and the author and perfecter of our faith and the head of the church. To fit the to fit the pattern that God had instituted in creation and, and and carried throughout the Old Testament, he has to be male, and he is. Um, do you have anything to add on that, Dan? <laughs> no, you're doing great. I think the thing that strikes me on this, Sam, we are, we talked earlier. We always do a little bit of a before we begin these. We compare a few notes to make sure that we kind of know where we're going with our discussion. But I think the thing that struck me in my study of this was two couple things. Number one is that trying to get in when you talk about your hermeneutical principle, by the way, hermeneutics just means interpretation. There's people listening here probably don't know the big fancy word. And I'm always trying to let people know big fancy words doesn't make make you smarter. Okay. So it just (laughs) means how do you interpret your Bible? Okay. It's all it really means. So yeah, we can all try to sound really smart, but it doesn't matter. Um, but when we do this, we have to understand, like, what's fascinating to me is that that we turn our Bible, we, we, we open our Bible, we have an Old Testament, and we turn a page, and now we're into the New Testament, okay? Yeah. And it took me about 15 or 20 seconds to turn that page. Wow, that's a slow t- page turn. I know. <laughs> I, I was even trying to think, how many seconds would it take? Okay. Yeah, I think I can turn a page in a half a second. But my point in doing that is simply that... It's one of these things when you come to the scriptures, you have to kind of get your mind around that you're reading the scriptures that are actually 66 books that yeah. were that were written, written over 1500 years. But right. even when we were referring a few weeks ago, uh, and it was in the podcast on Genesis, you know, minimally, minimally, and I'm not going to get into the debate of aging here, okay? But minimally, when Moses is talking about Adam and Eve, it's four or five thousand years BC. Mm-hmm. Okay, four or five thousand years BC, and Moses is writing at what seventeen hundred BC. So yeah. now, when you flip your page and we're talking about Jesus, I mean, just think about this, folks. Like you have just went from talking about creation and some of the stuff in the Old Testament that Moses was writing at seventeen hundred BC. And now you're talking about Jesus 1,700 years later. Not 170, but 1,700. Do you know how many cultures and how, many, uh, how much history has gone by? I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Right. You try, to th- try to think about life in the three, in the, you know, in the fourth century. Right. And so the point I'm just simply trying to make is that when Jesus steps in here and we start going through the Gospels, and you've already alluded to it, Sam. He he follows the same pattern. That, and you got to go. Okay, so it's not like he's 
following some pattern of the given culture of the time, per se. Right. He's following the same pattern that has unfolded for minimally a 4,000 years. Right. That's what's so striking. And I know we're kind of maybe getting ahead of looking at some of the text here, but the fact is he just does. And why I find it so striking is that even, Sam, when you were just sitting there, it's very interesting, even me sitting here, as much as I, you know, I just try to follow the scriptures. I want that to be the foundation of my life in all these discussions. Isn't it interesting that when you say Jesus was a male in heaven, I, yeah. was, I was sitting there thinking, there's some people right now that get a little nervous of this discussion. Right. That are feeling a little like antsy or a little like, oh, what do we do with this? And it's like, <laughs> do you realize that that is our problem in our culture that's unfolded in the last primarily last 10 or 20 years. My point yeah. is, is that this was not a, con that wasn't even a part of the conflict. Nobody had a conflict with Jesus being a male. I mean, no, I never even thought about it. Was, it's, for thousands of years, it's never been a problem. That's my point. I mean, not, not like a hundred years or 50 years or 10 years. It's never been a problem. But now all of a sudden, it's like this nervousness, like we've got to qualify, <laughs> we, that we even have to talk about Jesus being a male. It's right. almost kind of like, what? Why are we even talking about it? So I'm just saying, as we get into this, it's just this is the stuff that's striking to me. And I think, and I really think this is why this is important, is it really tells you how much a culture around you and what we've been talking about, Sam, which is a, a big theme in your whole preaching and persuade. It's, 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 it's a... It's a thing you carry from the beginning. You know, that's why you associate with me and I, I carry it, is this idea of presuppositions. And I know we say it numerous times, probably every podcast. Yep. But the point is, is we are influenced by these things. Why would we even come to the table today, on this day that we're, we're broadcasting this here in 2020? Here we are in October of 2020. Why would that even make us nervous or even a discussion point that he's a male? Why is that even a problem or a big deal? Or why do we even have to qualify it? There's right. only one reason that we do. There's only one reason we do. And it's because yeah. we are feeling the pressure or the influence of a culture around us who's come right. up with a discussion point, an ideology, a debate, an apologetic, whatever you want to call it that comes from this culture in the West. And it's gotten, so, it's got, it's so big and it's so powerful that it influences us and makes us nervous in this discussion. Whereas for thousands of years, this wasn't a problem. No. This wasn't misogyny, hegemonic power, power play, men against women. It had nothing to do with it. Nobody thought in those terms. And so... If we're going to be Christians, right. which my guess is most of the people listening to this would claim that, I realize some yep. wouldn't, and I'm excited everybody's listening. Just understand, as Christians, we have to get our more minds to be informed, transformed by the Word of God and not mm. by our culture. Mm -hmm. And so I just found it interesting that here we have to mention this, Jesus, Messiah, man, you know, came as a real human, flesh and blood, and right. he, was, he was a male. And then right. he, he ascended to heaven, and today, ascending into heaven, the God-man, who will sit on the throne in the Revelation, is still a male. 
mm-hmm. and and it shouldn't be a big deal. It's like mm-hmm. okay, why does that make? It's just so crazy to me that we're even nervous about that somehow. You right. know what I mean? But I don't know if nervous is the best word, but that, right. that's that's my only point on your introduction. Is like right. We got to get our mind into this text. We've got to somehow realize how much we've been influenced by stuff around us, and glean exegetically is the fancy word we've used it before but like get out of here what is actually being said and not bring our preconceived lenses from our culture to this right and and again this this is all consistent yeah the the okay god chose abraham we talked about this last last episode god chose abraham and then from abraham he, you know from his from his seed from his heir from his you know descends He'll have people as numerous as the stars and having the sand and the shore, and out of his and out of that will come, you know, really this man who will be a blessing to the world, Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah. from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to again the twelve sons of Jacob, twelve tribes of Israel. Right. And, you know, from those from Levi comes the priesthood. From Judah comes the monarchy, the Davidic monarchy. It's always been a male leadership, a male headship, and Again, Jesus is both the fulfillment of of this uh, of this promise to Abraham and this promise to David. So we look at the Old Testament and we automatically know that the Messiah is going to be a man. Yeah, he has to be a man. Yeah, and it, it has to fit with the pattern. And again, and it does. And and what's so weird is we have to keep saying this, right? Because of the cultural pressure that we feel on this issue. That's not demeaning to woman. No, that's, it's it, not at all. That's, we're not. It doesn't that, mean that. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything demeaning. It's just like no. This no. is the way it is. It's like okay, right? Okay. So so this is the design. You could go another level. You could say Jesus came as a Jewish Jewish man. Well, yeah. I'm not a Jewish man. No, I'm not like offended. I'm not. A, I'm like <laughs> no. Like okay, right? Just how God chose it and decided in the world that He would come as a you know as a Jewish man, an Israelite. Yeah. Ethnicities have been created by God, and I I come from a Slavic root. You know, I come from you know Yugoslavia. I mean, my roots go back. You know, these barbarian Slavics or something. (laughs) It's like, but it's not offensive. It's like, okay, no, that's fine. I'm, I'm, and in fact, frankly, Sam, we could. I'm not trying to get off on a rabbit trail, but. I would tell people to go back to listen to the podcast we did on, um, I forget what you titled it. Maybe you can remember on coveting, gratefulness and coveting. Oh, yeah. It's like, no, I am who I am. I've been brought into this world by God. I didn't choose this. And I don't have to apologize for it. And nope. J- Jesus came into this world as a Jewish male. male. And, we, and it shouldn't freak anybody out. And we don't need to. No. And why we have to apologize? Oh, it's just crazy to me. So anyway, okay. Yeah. Why? Get, why we have to try to defend him? Yeah, we're trying. We're getting ahead of ourselves. So maybe we need to move on. But that's my only thing on <sighs> your. It's. I know it's all introduction, but it's like get your mind into the scripture. Get away from this cultural pressure, and let's just be honest. Jesus is a male. He came as a Messiah. Came in true flesh and blood. Uh, the second person of the Trinity, Philippians said, took on the form of a man. In other words, it was like the way I think about it is like God put on human skin. Yeah. And again, yeah. there's a mystery in the sense. Mystery doesn't mean contradiction. He was both fully man and fully God. Yeah. That's the way it is. So 
again, those are the pieces on the table. We've been saying that right along. Let's keep getting the piece. So if we're going to go back to putting the pieces on the table, let's keep moving along um, and put the pieces on the table here, right? That's what we're trying right. to do. So first of all, right. okay, so the next piece for me, Sam, was just the way Jesus chose his leaders. Yep. The apostles. So you can yep. run run with that. But that, in my outline, in my mind, you know, um, following other books, Kostenberger's book, uh, you know, uh, the book edited by Grudem. There's lots of stuff written about this, but it's really just biblical. It's just the biblical discussion. And we're moving along in our outline of the biblical discussion. And so right. Jesus is flesh and blood. He's a male. And lo and behold, he chooses these apostles. He decides right. who he's going to choose. His and who does he yeah. choose? Who does he choose? Chooses all men. Yep, there he is. And, and he chooses, again, Jewish men. Yep. Jew uh, Jewish men, and, right? And, and and this is this is kind of interesting. Not any like it's not like specifically like educated mm -hmm. uh, Jewish men, but normal Jewish men. Some were fishermen. Some you know Matthew was a tax collector. Yeah. Uh, it's just like in a sense like different types of Jewish men, um, but Jew they were nonetheless men, and and that's important again because again God is decisively making a choice, and again. Here's the here's it's, it's probably a good time to bring it up is just this idea that oh well Jesus was just trying to act according to the culture so that he wouldn't <laughs> you know upset people and so he would fit in and that he wouldn't disqualify his testimony and and uh, uh, ruin his ministry and and if you I mean that's an actual pretty like that's a pretty common argument in the more egalitarian world so, somebody's been watching too much political news <laughs> yeah. And you got to just understand, like, if you, I mean, read the Gospels, and if you come out of the Gospels thinking that Jesus wasn't uh, willing to, like, overturn tables, if you get what I'm saying, like, literally, like, disrupt pre previously held beliefs and call people out for being wrong or doing something wrong, I mean, the... the the teaching on the Sabbath was a big deal to the Jews. Like they, they wouldn't do any, and they added all this stuff to like stuff you can't do on the Sabbath. And, and he literally just like blatantly goes into the temple on the Sabbath and heals people. Does, does work. So what, what you're in saying in front of the Pharisees, what you're saying is he doesn't acquiesce to the culture. He's countercultural. Not at all. He, and, He's countercultural, and the where he needed to be countercultural, right? Where he, he needed to be, yeah, where you, where the you, culture right, was right. wrong, right? Because he was God. Because he, yeah, exactly. It's not like you. It's that same thing we've been talking about. It's not like we we come and acquiesce to the culture and say, how do we take what God says and and like and 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 make it what the culture wants it to be? It's like no, 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 no. This is this is transcendent this is the, the fancy word for like stands apart stands by itself and so right. when jesus comes in you know even to the pharisees even to the religious people he'd say well you you heard it was said so that yeah. was either said it was either said you know it was based on some probably old testament scripture or the, at least their interpretation and application of it but he would yep. turn it on its head he would say well you heard it said but i tell you i god yeah. tell you yeah and, and he did this Boom. all the time. All the time. 
So I mean, to the point to where people, I mean, you read through the Gospels, and there's many times where people are grabbing stones to get ready to stone this guy because he's, they think he's being blasphemous. They think he's oh, like, yeah, yeah. being this dis- divisive, you know, evil man. They, they accuse yeah. him, really, they accuse him of being possessed by Satan Yeah, <laughs> at one point. And so he's not, he's, he's not, his, his, he is not a politician trying no. to get people's votes. I mean, he's not, no. not saying what people want to hear. He's speaking the truth. Yeah. And he goes, I, I came to bring a sword. So <laughs> I came to bring you, can, you can tell that's such an issue for us because you're right. People will say this and it's like, please. Right. No. And, and it, it, it runs in the, it runs in the world of, Again, we're in a postmodern world. It runs in this this whole relativistic milieu of, you know, every culture is has equal value. No culture is inherently bad. It's all just everything. Morality is just a social construct. Right. It depends on just the 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 culture, and you can't say that that culture is right or wrong. Uh, but then the funny thing is, is that Western culture is uniquely evil because <laughs> of capitalism and stuff, and 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 the fact that it was kind of built on this patriarchal idea. So Western culture is wrong, but everything else is right. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's just like this, like, no, there, there, you can actually objectively say if a culture is wrong, like not every culture is the same. There are certain cultures that have more rightness. You could say to it, to them than others. There are some cultures that are totally wrong. There are some cultures that are closer to the truth. Every culture is going to be tainted by sin in some way. Mm-hmm. Now the Christian culture is uniquely different. It stands apart from everything else. How we operate in our Christian sphere and in our churches is is should be in a sense countercultural to everything well, in some it, form or fashion. But Sam, you just said the optimum word should be. Okay? Yeah, should be because right. the problem is the problem sometimes is no question we see it in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament we see it in the New Testament is that the church didn't stand in right. line with the teachings. Of the scriptures, right. and, oh, and, certainly and, and that's what and that's history. what we well, and it's what we talked about in the Old Testament. There's all sorts exactly. of all sorts of accommodations we talked about uh, right. that, that God did in the context because of their sin, right? And we'll get to that today with Jesus and you know divorce. He he affirmed what Moses did in allowing right. divorce, but it ought not be that way. And so we would say the same thing now. There have been things in the name of Jesus or in the name of the church that would be contrary to scripture and right. and it needs to be corrected so it needs to be called out but yeah. that's i just want to emphasize should should is always right. based should, on what should. should well even the word should people use this you should do this you should do this um, anytime you use the word should it goes to this idea of oughtness it ought to be something different and then you have to say well what is the standard for why something ought to be different right and mm. now we're back to our discussion of authority mm-hmm. the reason it ought to be different is because God said it ought to be different <laughs> mm-hmm. and again exactly. that's and that's presuppositions our, po- our podcast we come here once again to our like oughtness or should so all I wanted to qualify there, Sam, is somebody might be saying, but yeah, but I saw a church that, you know, did something wrong in light of this. And Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are Christians that have done sin, all of us, and there, it, the church at times has represented and done wrong things, just like the nation of Israel did. But, oh, yeah. But even to be able to say it did wrong things, what is the standard that you bring to that? Well, and exactly. The, the and, fact that we... And the standard oh, yeah, is yeah. not... The standard I bring to that is not a postmodern feminist... Uh, 
view of life, secular view of life, the standard I bring to it is the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And I would agree. There are things that people could bring up to me. And I've been in a lot of these discussions, you know, kind of like public panel discussions and universities and stuff, where somebody brings something up and I go, oh, you're right. You know, mm-hmm. I wish I could think I'm nothing. I mean, a, a light bulb's not going off in my head. But, but I would say, well, you're right. But Jesus would have been against that as well. Well, here would be one I use with guys all the time, a simple one. When people say, well, what about hypocrites? You know, they will talk about, I just don't like all the hypocrites. People who say one thing, they stay there in the name of Christ, but then they do this awful thing. And I'd say, well, now you sound like Jesus, because Jesus said the same thing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. because this person says they're a Christian, or, you know, you see it, it's sad. It's, it's, in fact, it's tragic. You see in a culture, um, you know, people who claim authority in Jesus, meaning like some kind of a position in the church, and then they do something very abusive, right? Abuse children mm-hmm. or whatever. It's awful. It's awful. And... Yeah, well, they're not the authority. They That person is not the authority. They're not in line with the Word of God when they're doing this awful thing. Right. And so, again, I'm just I'm just speaking to this issue of... Um, well, exactly. And it, you know, it's like the classic uh, C.S. Lewis quote, how do you know that a crooked stick is crooked? Because you have some you know, idea yeah. of a straight stick. Yeah, There's such a thing as a straight stick. Yeah, I use that a lot with people because they want to talk yeah. about justice and oughtness and should. And I want to go, right. okay, so what's the standard by which you're comparing it to? And... I'm saying, oh, of course, Christians and i.e. the church or a local church has done wrong things, and I would go to the scripture and show you where they did a wrong thing. Yep, and exactly. They need, they so, need to, so go ahead, keep. I didn't mean to get. Well, that, it just fits perfectly into this whole discussion on man and woman. It's like, where has man gone wrong? Where has woman gone wrong? Oh, well, we have a we have a standard. We have a we have yep. a revealed word from God that's authoritative yeah. and tells us what mm-hmm. a man is, what a woman is. Oh, there it is. Boom. There's where woman has gone wrong. There's where man's gone wrong. Yeah, yeah, and it goes both ways, right? Goes both ways. Yeah, and, and that's what we're saying. And in, in our current current world, our current time that we're living in, it's gone a certain way, and it's and there's wrong, and there's things <laughs> that need to be corrected. And that's what we're doing. Boy, boy has it ever. <laughs> and that's why we're talking about this podcast, right? Where yeah, we're boy trying, has it ever. Like we're, we're trying know, to set the standard out there and say, okay, here's the picture. Here's here's what Scripture teaches us. Yeah. Now what? Now and eventually, after the three or four or five more of these, we'll get to the point. And we're alluding to it now, obviously, but we'll get to a specific time or two where we'll say, okay, so what's this mean for us? Yeah, yeah. Right? So, okay. So, Oof, yeah. <laughs> but it's a great, well, it's a great point. Jesus was not succumbing to the culture. He is not acquiescing to the culture. I mean, everything he did was, as God, transcendent, and where the culture needed to be challenged on something, he obviously did. It wasn't a problem. Exactly. Exactly. So... Yes, choosing the disciples. Yeah, let's go Choose back all to, men. Yeah, chose the apostles. And, yep. Yep, chose the apostles. Uh, and again, these weren't some like, again, like this isn't, they're not some like uh, a tyrannical, you know, ultimate like dictator type, you know, rule the world men. Like, yeah, these were normal guys, working men, uh, fisher, many of them were fishermen. Some of them were disciples of John the Baptist before Jesus. Uh, and they lived, uh, they lived, uh, a very interesting life. Like even Jesus, like, you know, birds have nests, foxes have dens, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Uh, they lived a kind of a rough life in a, in a sense. They, they weren't these men up in palaces, like getting served. They lived it hard. Like they were like, like we've been saying, they were a man, they were men on a mission. Here's the mission. Yeah, they were laborers. Yeah, for sure, tradesmen. Laborers, tradesmen yep. for the most part. Workers, yeah. hard workers. Yep. Um, yep. 
traveling around, preaching the gospel, declaring oh, you, the Well, the after kingdom. he called them to the mission, you're ta- I was talking about even before the mission. Oh, even before. This specific yeah, even before. mission. Their, their, their role was what we see consistent right. in all fairness Working. in the Old Testament. They were workers. They were providers. They worked hard yep. from what we yep. can tell. Uh, yep. They didn't have a lot of leisure time per se. I mean, from right. what it looks like. I mean, these men worked hard. They had their businesses and their lives. And um, and then Jesus, yeah, did call them to lead towards this reality of this mission, which was to, you know, proclaim the truth, proclaim the word into the world. Right. And where we really see them start to, in a sense, live into their their calling or their role that they are as apostles is in the epistles and the you know acts and once we get past the gospels and the church starts that's where you really see because these men really do have a level of authority um yeah, yeah. uh they really do and we'll get we'll get into that like there yeah. there is something really unique about them yeah, and um, let me let me say something else that was really struck me sam okay so um a podcast or two ago we were talking about in deuteronomy 17 yeah, yeah. When, when, when the, when the king, who should the king be? Yeah, the qualifications for the king. Um, let me go back there a minute, just a minute. Uh, I think it was Deuteronomy 17. Is that right? Uh, I had it. Yeah, it is. Highlighted. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, uh, when you enter the land, I'm looking at Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. When you enter the land which the Lord God, your God gives you and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. Okay, One from among your countrymen who shall set as a king over yourselves. You may not be put a foreigner. Okay, um, He shall not, verse 16, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Uh, he goes on, he shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Uh, when he sits on the throne of the kingdom, he will write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. And he shall learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in the kingdom in the midst of Israel. Okay, so it's simply this. We're, we're talking about patterns. Remember, we're talking about huge swaths of time, right? Mm-hmm. So here's Moses writing this back, you know, 1700 B.C., Here's Jesus now. Now, here's the point I want to make. The qualification for the king that God would choose, right, was not about power. It was not about stepping on people, oppressing people. It was literally a denial of himself. He couldn't do this for accumulating horses. He couldn't do it for accumulating money. He couldn't do it for accumulating wives. Truly, if I could put the word in here, he was to be holy. He wasn't to return to the pagan world of the Egyptians and take stuff from them. He was to write all of this down before the priests, right? The representations. Make sure, make sure it's accurate before the priests of God. He was to live in accordance with it. And truly, again, I would put the word in here. He was to live a holy life according to the word of God. Yep. Okay. That is the pattern of the what God says. This is what... My chosen king should look like. Yeah. My chosen leader should look like this. Now, uh, we would say that pattern unfolded with the patriarchy of the Old Testament, even fathers, and we talked about grandfathers, 
There was this mm -hmm. blessing, there was this protection, this caring, and if I could use the word again, holiness, that they were to have before the people. This yep. is what we, as you know, men were called to be as leaders of their homes. Now, the, all I'm trying to say then is you notice when Jesus chose, chooses the apostles, what's he say? Over and over, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me, yep. um, right. become like a little child. Uh, he talks about do not lord over others. I was looking at some of these passages, you know, uh, right. Matt, Matthew 20, uh, 25 literally says, um, when he's talking to his apostles and basically his, the leaders he's choosing, right? Uh, uh, but Jesus called to himself and said uh, those to himself. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. You know, And so he turns it all on his head. He, he keeps telling them the same qualifications that the kings were uh, in Deuteronomy 17 is simply my point. This is not about you. you are, you've been called to be a leader, but this leader is to serve the people, to care for the people. This is not about you. And even uh, if you go to like Mark chapter 10, this is when you know John and James are like, hey, we want, we want the... The big yeah, yeah. seat. We want to, we, we want the front row seats, man. We want to, we want to have yeah, our place. Gonna, and he's like, a, yeah, you remember that? And Mark, uh, right on your left. Can we sit in your right and your left? Yeah. So right? you go there, you go to Mark 10 and yeah. And he, and what's he say here? He says, uh, uh, you know, Can you at, drink the cup that I offer you. Yeah. Right yeah. He basically saying, no, 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 no. Your way up is down. The way up is down. The way down is up. It, it's always the reversal. The point is, is it's a humility. It's a denying of yourself. It's a death yeah. of yourself. And in that is the qualification for what it means to be his leaders. Right. And that's all I want to say. And so the point is, is again, you're looking at a pattern that was articulated by Moses 1,700 years before right. about what it actually right. means to be a leader. And right. that's... What if you read through the Gospels, you'll see this unfolding over and over as he calls these men to himself. And even then, see, they're sinners, right? And so they'll, at their times, want to want to have, hey, I want the high, I want the big seat, I want to be with the big yeah, guy. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 that's not what this yeah, is about. And, and this isn't to say that again. This is a pitfall that people fall into. Yeah, it's just no. that okay, yeah, they're supposed to be these humble, uh, servant-like people. And what we can set that against, though, is like, oh, well, that means they're not supposed to, that means they're supposed to be somewhat passive or timid or <laughs> right. uh, no. not courageous or this wet rag. No, not that at all. Not at all. <laughs> like, not at all. I just like, no, they're still they're still men like they they their their humility and their leadership is 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 still strong and courageous and bold and active and authoritative it well, does yeah, being, yeah. And being Jesus, and, humble yeah well we're gonna get more here in a moment right but that's how jesus right. i mean they are to emulate if you will be, be conformed yep. to the image of christ right that's what romans uh, uh, 8 tells us we are all to be conformed to the image of christ that's at the end of the day well you look at the life of jesus and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves in our outline, which is fine, but I don't want to totally go there right now. But, I mean, obviously, Jesus was so lovely lovely, and so enjoyable that children wanted to crawl all over him. I mean, it's right. really kind of a wonderful picture. Um, he had incredible dignity for these 
I mean, even a prostitute, a woman would come in and weep at his feet, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, and we'll get to all of this more. But the point being is that, and at the same time, you and I were talking earlier, there's these pictures in the scriptures of while he shows these great gentleness and dignity to even these women who were really in sin, you know, the, the Samaritan woman at the well and John 8, right. which is a, you know, questionable passage. Was it in our original manuscripts? It doesn't. The point being, though, is the principle is always the same. He spoke with authority to them, with gentleness and dignity, treating them with dignity. But it, he still said at the end, um, but you're in sin and you need to turn from your sin. Go away and sin no more. <laughs> right. And so the picture of this, again, you can't go to a culture or a world and say, well, these men were these, you know, passive, you know, uh, what, I don't know what you just called it, but they were wet rag. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were they, a strong man was a man who, who stood to love well with dignity yeah. and purpose. And there's a lot to leadership. We would have to have a whole discussion there. I think at the point I'm just simply trying to make is that the, the pattern I'm trying to get with this pattern, the same pattern that we see in the beginning of the scripture carries its way through. And actually in the garden, passivity and uh, role reversal, we talked about all that, go back and listen to it, was not a virtue. It's no. not a, that's not a virtue. It's not a virtue. No. And it's equally not a virtue to dominate and crush people. That's not a virtue. Okay, so right. that's that's not what we're saying either. Right. We're saying there yeah, is you can't there, make these false dichotomies. So that's the issue. Right. We're saying there is a biblical call here. Right. That has a dignity and a purpose and initiation and taking responsibility and uh, the, the 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 burden falling on your shoulders as a leader. And in every one of these cases that we're talking about this, this these were males. These were men. And, got, and Jesus gave the example to these apostles of what this was to look like. Right, exactly. Enough said for that. Okay. Yep. So I guess it's about time in our outline, unless you want to talk on something else, no, just to look good. at some of these specific texts. Where, yeah, yeah. Because here's the issue. When, it, when there really isn't a lot, again, let me say this another way. Um, we do see... <clears throat> Excuse me. We do see a very clear pattern from creation all the way through the Old Testament of manhood and womanhood. So we're entering into this new covenant time. We enter into this time where God is living on earth. And what you need to find, let's just say, if you're looking for something that's going to overturn this pattern that has been set in place for 4,000 years already, if you're looking for evidence that this mm. is being overturned, like it needs to be pretty dang clear. Yeah, you know that's, what I'm saying. Like that's, it needs that's to a good be, point. Boom! Yeah. It needs to hit you right in the face. Like if if this is the way it is, like it needs to be clear. Yeah, that's and good. That's obvious a great point. And explicit. Like Jesus says, this is what you know, a man and a woman. Blah 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 blah. Fill in the blank. Whatever yeah. you want to fill in the blank. Yeah. Whatever the culture has brainwashed you into thinking uh, a man and a woman is and their relationship and their roles and all this, all this stuff. And if you if you are expecting to uh, see that in the text, like, I mean, it has to be obvious. So well, I guess what I'm hinting at is when we start to read these, these interactions between Jesus and women in the Gospels, people will pull like a rabbit out of a hat here. 
They literally will. They, <laughs> that's, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. It's like, it's, where did that come from? Yeah. So hey, be, where the heck be, did that come from? And before we go to those texts, could I just go to another, uh, just to a, confirm a pattern? It's very obvious in the scripture. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. Jesus. It's very simple in the outline, but then we'll get to the, the women. And that is Jesus affirmed the original, uh, the original pattern of marriage. Yeah, that's important. I mean, it's we just talk important. About that a and bit. so, well, you know, you go to Matthew 19, 1 Matthew, through 12. Yeah. You know, and, and what does he say? And it's very interesting. You know, they came to him. Uh, some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Okay. So we're not getting into a big discussion of the whole divorce, remarriage thing right now. But just the point of this is, look what he says in verse 4. And he answered and said, have you not read that he... Okay, have you not read, now think about this, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. In the verse 5, and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Well, there's a couple key things here, okay? First of all, have you not read, okay? Have you not read what Moses wrote? Mm. And then notice what he said. What Moses wrote was what God said. <laughs> okay, so that that in itself is a powerful thought. This this is not Moses's idea. He's no. literally he literally says, "Have you not read which is what Moses wrote?" And then he said, "And God said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh." Ooh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Okay? This is everything we've been talking about when we did our two or three times ago on Genesis. And we did the Old Testament, the pattern, the plan, the reality, woman taken out of man, this whole picture. He literally said, have you not read that this is what God said? And he's referring to something that Moses wrote 1700. Remember, let's go back, you know, 17, 1500. Moses probably wrote it around 1500 actually, actually. But the point being is that then you go go back before that, and again, the earliest accounts are four or five thousand BC that this actually happened. This has been carrying along for thousands of years, and it's because thus says the Lord. Yeah, this so, is why. So here, Sam and I are sitting here, and we know our finiteness, our feebleness. We are men. We are sinful men. We have been redeemed and rescued by Christ, but we are men with all of our failings. And we could sit before you in this podcast and say, thus says the Lord. Yeah. It's not my idea. I didn't come up with this. God said. That's why we labeled this man and woman, God's idea. (laughs) Right. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So this says a lot. Obviously, we're not going to go off on on another rabbit trail today. But this whole idea in our culture that you can redefine this and put any two people together, meaning homosexual marriage, it's not marriage. It's a mirage, as some yeah. have said. It's, yeah, it's yeah, not, mirage, I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's not real. It's just not real. Now, if a culture wants to do that, okay, a culture can say whatever they want. They can say two guys, three girls, a horse and a cow. I don't care. <laughs> like, it's just, but it's not. But for anybody who says that they walk with God or want the, you're laughing at me. But my point is, oh, it's like, classic. you don't get to like just redefine whatever you want. Now, if you want to, a cult, pagan culture can do anything they want in a sense, if you want to say it that way. But it's contrary to the word of God. So you, my, my, 
my frustration in this, maybe you pick it up even in the tone of my voice, is like when anybody in the church representing God and representing the voice of God thinks that they can alter what God said and make it fit whatever they want, that's just heresy. That is a lie, and it's contrary to the Word of God. And I will just... That's that's and not there, even there there's, is there there's is, no negotiation there, on that. There, there, this isn't like this isn't without like okay yeah you teach it incorrectly. This isn't without consequence. There is severe yeah. severe consequences for leading people astray in teaching something uh, antithetical to the Bible. Like right. some so, of the harshest warnings Jesus gives on judgment are in accordance with false teaching. Yep. So you see this in Matthew. You see it in Mark. You see it in Luke. The same kind of interaction, and Jesus says, listen, you heard it read, Moses wrote it, but it was said by God, and then he goes on, verse 6, they are no longer two, but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, that no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And you find that in the Old Testament, we've already addressed this. Um, he said, because of your hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it's not this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Yeah. Now, now this is, I find, really interesting. The disciples said to him, if the relationship of man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry at all. <laughs> it's like, man, this is really hard. Yeah. Well, You mean I can't just get rid of her? <laughs> right. And, and here's the point. Exactly. They, it's like they got the point. This, that's the other yeah. part of this whole thing. They got the point. That, that, no, you don't get to divorce your wife. If you join with this woman and you become one flesh and you're in this covenant with her, that is for a lifetime. Yeah. And they, and they, the point is, is like, they get the point. They're like, well, gosh, maybe we shouldn't even get married then. And he's like, exactly. That's how hard this is. Yeah. But this is. Because of the fall. Because of the fall. Right. Because of the fall. Remember back back before the fall, if you go back two or three podcasts, it was very good. There was no conflict. Right. But and, now. And, and, go ahead, Sam. I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. We're just getting all fired up now. But yeah, but yeah like here's the deal. But the, 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 the pattern and the design still holds. Yes, that's the this point. This still <laughs> is the principle. This still is my design. You still have to live according to it. And if you don't. It's sin, and you yeah. will be judged according to right, it. Right, right. This isn't so, like, oh, yeah, the fall now, so now you get a break. Right. So yeah, Okay, yeah, yeah, so yeah, again, yeah, you're sinful. Yep, you don't have to live according to my good design. Yeah, you get a break. No, so, so, you still are called to live according to the design. Right. So right now, all we're trying to say, uh, before we get to the woman thing, I thought it would be, I, at least in my outline, I think it's a good movement. We've moved from Jesus was a man, Messiah. He chose men. They were to deny themselves. It's the same pattern of what it really means to be a leader, to be caring and not live for yourself. Uh, certainly doesn't mean to be roll over and have a jellyfish backbone or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, yeah. And then now we're moving to Jesus affirmed even, again, the pattern of man and woman, marriage, woman created out of the man. They were brought together. And all he's doing is talking to them about the law that Moses was given Again, I think we've used the word accommodate. The point was, is because of sin in the world, there were things that Moses was allowed. They were allowed certain things, including this issue of divorce based on unfaithfulness, based on an exception, if you will, that was very harsh and very difficult. But mm -hmm. the pattern and the intention has always been the same. 
a man and woman would come together in a covenant before God and live their life together. That is, and it hasn't changed. And again, remember when you flip your pages of your Bible, even though it takes a few seconds to do it, we're talking about thousands and thousands of years. This has never changed. Right. right? That, that's the Big only deal point. stuff. That's the only point. Okay, so I could go on. Mark 10 does the same thing. Luke 16 does the same thing. It's just Jesus affirmed this original pattern again. Yep. Again. Right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. So the first place that we're going to really go to, and this is probably the best. There's a, there's a couple uh, narrative chunks um, that are really important. One of them, and the first one, is this John 4 with the woman, the Samaritan woman okay. at the well. So this whole section now we're moving into is a discussion of how Jesus interacted with women, women yep. in his ministry. Is there some implications we can draw from that, right? Right. 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 And where, okay. where, where would the, th- like, what would be going too far? Like people will go too far into reading into okay. what this is Good. saying. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you're going to Luke four. Is that what you said? Yeah. Luke four is the first one that we're okay. going to go to. All right. And we can't go to all of them. There's quite a few of them. Like, yeah. and, and again, there's some of them you go, okay, what's, right. why is this even the significant? And some of them really aren't. It's just Jesus heals a woman. Great. Like, yeah, women are. <laughs> have yeah. dignity and value and, and worth and are made in the image of God too. You would expect Jesus to heal them. There's nothing like there that's of really much substance to 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 try to overturn this this pattern. Yeah. And God's design. Um so yes, John four, starting in verse one. Now when Jesus learned uh, John four Pharise- are you in John four or Luke four? John, I'm in John four. Yeah, you said Luke. Didn't you say Luke? I don't know. I don't think I said Luke. Maybe I did. Oh, well. well that's right. We know now it's John. Okay. Go ahead. John 4. Got it. Verse 1. Yep. Now, when it. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making uh, and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Again, context, uh, Samaria, north of Israel, um, or of Judah in a sense, uh, it was a little bit of a an eth- there was a little bit of an ethnic difference from Samaritans to 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 Jews, and well, it was a it big was, deal. It was a big deal to them, though. Oh, a huge deal! Right, that's what I'm saying. They didn't even there like was an the, ethnic difference. They weren't even supposed to Jews. The you know the Jews weren't even supposed to let their shadow cross the shadow of a Samaritan. I mean, it was pretty serious. Right, and 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 you and and the reason is Samaritans were sort of known as half breeds, right? They intermixed. Yeah, they interbreeded with some. Yeah, I can't even remember which uh, other people group it was. Well, it was nonetheless. It was yeah, it was the Assyrians and right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah. So nonetheless, big deal stuff. This is like this is the. uh, I mean, talk about the epitome of what 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 you might call today racism, uh, whatever. Nonetheless. Most Jews would, well, if not all of them, would would travel around the region of Samaria, so they wouldn't have to go through it. And it added all this time to their journeys when they were trying to get to other places. And uh, yeah, you just wouldn't you just wouldn't associate with Samaritans. And that is why Jesus often referenced Samaritans in a lot of his stories and parables, because it was it would create such uh, uh, an a countercultural you know feeling, like man. As soon as Jesus brings a Samaritan into his parable, uh oh, things are getting serious. Yeah. Like uh, the right. good Samaritan <laughs> and things like that. Nonetheless, so he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. 
so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask from for a drink from me, a Samaria, a woman of Samaria. So again, I'll reread that. The Samaritan woman said to him, "How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria?" So this was understood. the 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 woman from Samaria understood. Uh, th- Whatever is happening right now is not normal. <laughs> right. Not normal. This does this is countercultural. Uh, one, you're a Jew. Two, you're a Jew man. I'm a woman and I'm a Samaritan. Like this is the this is oil and water in this culture. A Samaritan woman talking to a, a Jewish man, not a chance. And I mean, he's actually asking her for water. Like I mean, and again, we know he's starting a conversation with her uh, to to really share the gospel. Um. Again, in parentheses, it says, "For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans." Yeah. No dealings with Samaritans. Yeah, so that w- that was part of the divided kingdom. That was part of the intermarriage with the Assyrians. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. But they just really had a real rift with each other. Yep, it was, it was big, huge. Time. big time, big time. Yep, yep. So they would Jesus go. Said, well, oh, by the way, yeah. th- just quickly for context, that's that's why when the Jews had to go down to like Jerusalem from say Galilee, uh, they would walk around Samaria. Right. You know, yeah. Yep. That's what I said. Yep. <laughs> you already said that. Right. So anyway. Yep. Okay. Enough said. Okay. Go ahead. Yep. Okay. So Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying that it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now have is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. I'll stop there. I probably went too far. But here we have an interesting thing. I mean, we could get into all the, you know, what Jesus is really saying about drinking living water and, you know, this, this connection between believing in him and trusting him in, in him as your Lord and Savior. But again, we're going to this text because of, the fact that it's it's an interaction between a man and a woman, specifically God and a woman. Um, and I mean, there really isn't again when you when you have when you uh, have understood the pattern in God's good design for man and woman, 
this doesn't like strike you. It might strike you culturally, and it certainly struck the 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 Jews culturally during the time. Like this was countercultural, but when you're just coming at it from like a biblical pattern of manhood and womanhood and God's good design, this really isn't weird. I mean, Jesus is interacting with a woman. Uh, obviously, we'll get to it, but she comes to faith in him. She trusts and believes in him. Um, salvation is for her too, not only as a woman, but also as a Samaritan. Um, and we see this, like, go out into, like, in Acts, go out into uh, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth to, to proclaim the gospel. Salvation is for everyone in the world, not just Jews. Um, so this is certainly saying that. You're going to add some, Dan? Well, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I was kind of in the text when you said what you just said. Did you say it was not anything? Oh, it was. It was it was. What, was what? Yeah, yeah. The gospel was for Jews, uh, Samaritans, but even and— But bef- even before that, I guess what I wanted to say was this. Like, let me just say it. Like, he meeting with this woman, first of all, she's a Samaritan, right? We have yep. already covered that, which— a Jew wasn't supposed to like hang out with Samaritan. Secondly, um, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of different messages that have been given on this passage. But certainly, she's an adulterous woman who, for whatever reasons, looking for love in all the wrong places. And the fact that she's out there getting water, there's a lot of discussion about that. Was it because she was ashamed to go when the other women went right, in the morning, right, right. or was she there actually looking for guys because she knew guys showed up there in the middle of the day? And the fact that Jesus is interacting with this, you know, questionable woman could be embarrassing potentially for this yep. this one who's a you know rabbit, you know, you know, a teacher, a leader, Jesus, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so there's there's something questionable there. And then, of course, that's very clear when the disciples show up. They go, "Wait a minute, you know, he's talking to this really questionable woman. What's going on yeah. here? What are you doing?" But the fact of the matter is what's 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 really fascinating, I think, and what you get to is that first of all, he knows her background. He because he's God, he knows who she is. He knows about her private life, and he's calling her to admit her private life. So he yeah. sees her sin and he's calling her out. Uh, secondly, he doesn't do it in an oppressive, squashing way, but he does it honestly, right? Mm. Puts her on the and spot. He, in a sense, he sets her up. Yeah, he said. Well, he does. Yeah, he, he knows. He sets her up. He, Jesus he sets a, her up to expose her. To well, expose he, he, her. Sin. He's a genius, and this goes to what you said in your introduction. Uh, it's fascinating when you read and study this stuff because, and I've I only scratched the surface. I mean, there's p- friends of mine and commentaries that go way beyond anything I'll ever know. But like Jesus didn't waste any words. Everything he did was very directed and very like you you said it earlier. Like these aren't just arbitrary statements and words right like everything no, everything's he did, purposeful everything's very calculated even if you want to say it that way so he says a statement he draws her to see her sin which what's her response well do i solve this in a religious way like do yeah. i go and worship she kinda, here she kind of changes the topic yeah well she goes to the religion like well it's like when right. i talk to somebody and somebody will say well you know i'm a pretty good person and i go to church or i believe in god or somebody will say yeah. something like well that's not it's it goes deeper than that we have a real serious problem here it's called sin right and uh as you said eventually here she does believe him to be the messiah she she responds right and so um I don't know what else to say than that. I have some other thoughts here, but go ahead. Where were you going to pick up from there? I was just si- simply saying that 
Well, no, that's exactly what I wanted to say. Yeah, he's showing her great dignity by by going to her, this really questionable woman that men would never go to and talk to. A Jewish right. man would not go do this. Right. But he but he did it. And yeah, in every way she's questionable. Yeah, that's all my points. And and Jesus yeah, in still, every way. And Jesus was willing to go there to yeah. show her the most loving thing he could do, and that was to reveal what she really needed, and that was purification, the gospel. She needed yeah. a cleansing of her sin. She needed to turn from her sin. And that's yeah. what and Jesus went into her turf and did that. So Right. She, yeah, and I mean for all we know, I mean, man, she's 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 saved. Like right now, this woman is in heaven. Yeah. From what we can glean from the text. Yeah. God saved her. Uh yeah. an adulterous uh woman. Yeah. Um which is incredible. Yeah. So well well in this, the in the big marker of that, Sam, is if you go to verse twenty nine, she went back into the Samaritans, yeah. her her world, if you will. And again, everybody right. know, knows her. And she says, come see a man who told me the things that I have done. This, Which everybody probably knows. Okay, yeah, this yeah, guy exposed yeah. her adultery yeah. and her multiple husbands. Is this not the Christ? And of course, many people came out as a result. But verse 39 then says, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all yep. these things I have done. So, Again, there's this this wonderful picture here of Jesus interacting with this woman who's very questionable, very sinful, if you want to say that. Everybody kind of knows her marked life. He engages her, contrary, again, countercultural, really, um, brings her the gospel. She goes back and tells everybody. And now, with this great reality, like this whole area begins to be witnessed to with this thing called the gospel. Right. As a result of this questionable woman. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful picture. And again, oh, remember, you got to get in the text. That would be so countercultural. It's unbelievable. Right. Exactly. So, again, you, you would think like, okay, this really, what, what, what in this text would be overturning this biblical pattern of man and woman. And like, again, like I said, kind of rabbit out of a hat type stuff. Uh, really not, not much, if anything, uh, except this is where people would go with it. They would say like more of the egalitarian feminist type scholars or people looking at this might say, Oh, well the fact that she went back to her city and started to witness about Christ means that, uh, God, Jesus isn't now, uh, allowed and, and, because they instituted women leadership and women preachers. And again, where is that? Like, it, it, like there's nothing wrong or unbiblical about a woman preaching, like, you know, proclaiming the gospel. Right. And evangelizing, proclaiming or witnessing about how Christ saved them. Yeah. Nowhere in the Bible do you see that as, as wrong Right. Uh, even witnessing but, to even witnessing two men. Okay, that's okay. Right. Right. Not not a problem. Right. Not a problem. But some campus right. min, campus ministry having a bunch of women on their staff, and those women are going onto the campus and sharing the gospel. Not a problem. Right. Not a problem. Not a problem. There is a distinction though in scripture between that and then actually preaching or being in a leadership over a church. There is a distinction there. Yeah, we'll get to um, and we'll no, get to that. Nor right? is this in any way overturning anything that is that is uh, about the family and about man's role as a husband and a, a woman's role as a wife. Like nowhere is this talking about anything like that. So 
again, rabbits out of hats a little bit here. Like, if you wanted to try to use this text to try to show that Jesus is somehow overturning this pattern and this design for man and woman from the beginning, is is you have to pull it, you have to pull it out of nowhere, and you also have to have to somehow uh, get that to to uh, um, line up with the fact that Jesus has already in many, in many places uh, gone back to say that, no, this is how God has designed man and woman when he goes back and, and quotes from the creation account. God has said, like Dan just said with the marriage. Like, yep. So you're saying that Jesus grounds uh, marriage and manhood and womanhood and, and adultery and all this stuff in creation, but in this instance, he's overturning that design. So he's contradicting himself. And what he, he's like kind of picking and choosing different aspects of, of what should be grounded in creation and what shouldn't be. Like you'd have to kind of go to that conclusion then. And that's just ridiculous. Like no, no, you, you can't go to that. No. Uh, and this, this text doesn't even warrant a discussion on that because it's not talking about anything, you know, overturning anything like that. Uh, salvation is for women. Women are co-heirs, you yep. know, with men in Christ. Part women of- have just... Part of the mission. Part of the mission. Uh, yep. She went back and she testified to what Christ just did for her. Great. Amen. Awesome. Yep. yep. We believe that. Yep. Uh, yeah, like, good grief. She stored up, I mean, she God saved her and she, in a sense, started to store up eternal treasure in heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boom. She went back and she started proclaiming the truth. Great. Amen. Yep. Like, and that's what this text shows us. But again, um, this, again, Jesus, and this is more into the application side of things, and uh, it's a little weedy. I don't know. In my head it is. Just like like the way she lived her life. Again, we you could just hear the voices today. Well, you can't say how a woman should or shouldn't live her life. Who, who are you to say that she can't have multiple partners? Who are you to say that blah, 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 blah? It's like, well, no. When it comes to the proclamation of the gospel, whether it's to a man or to a woman, like the gospel exposes your sin. It exposes your sin, and it and it has to expose your sin. And that's what it does. And then when you see your sin, you know if if the spirit comes to you in a regenerative way, you are convicted of it, and you hate it, and you turn away from it, and you repent. And so Jesus exposed your sin. He like. He called her out for her adultery. He called her out for having multiple husbands. And the husband that you have right now isn't your husband. You're just living with a guy. You're, 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 you're fornicating. You're being sexually immoral. That is sinful, and the wrath of God is on that sin. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you know, the drunkards, the, the adulterers, whatever he says, the sexually immoral, the homosexuals, they will not inherit the kingdom of God unless they repent and turn to Christ and change, trusting him by faith. So, again, the uh, the gospel preacher today has every right to call out sin in another. And he and indeed he has to. That's what the gospel does. It's an you expose sin. So, uh and again, a man if he's sharing the gospel with a woman, in a sense, there needs to be an ex. It needs to be some, you know, might be, it might not be as direct as what Jesus did here, but it could be. Um, again, 
we always think that as, as somehow offensive today. We'd say that's not your right. You can't you can't dig into somebody's personal life. That's their own business. You have no right to to meddle in that stuff. Uh, who are you to say that she can't live her life how she wants to live it? And vice versa, who is a woman to say like a man can't live his life how he wants to live it? Whatever. Uh, no, when it comes to the gospel, yeah, I actually do have a right to say I've been given the authority, preach the gospel. And with it comes this, hey, the way you're living your life is, is sinful and it's leading you to hell. Um, but yeah, that's that. I really don't have much else to say about it. Well, actually, yeah, yeah. Preach and persuade. You're preaching about the gospel. Yeah, which yeah is that awesome. was my that was my five minutes of preaching. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that's awesome. But but kind of shifting back, I think I think that's that that is an exemplary uh, passage of what we're saying in light of how God. I mean, there's a lot more to it, right? But if you go through the gospels and just watch how tr- uh, Jesus treated women, okay. So, yeah. and what you see, and I think. If I were to say it, you, you, you see this like he's willing to speak truth to them and treat them with care and dignity. And so you had, you know, Mary Magdalene come to him who he cast out these demons. And you had uh, Mary and Martha who came to him and, uh, you know, Mary wanted to sit at his feet. And mm-hmm. uh, at one point he's anointed with perfume. And you, you look at all these these realities of these women. And the point is, is like, Many of these women even followed and ministered with him. Right. Uh, uh, I was looking at Luke 8. It's a classic one. Like, um, you know, he began going around from city to city and village to village, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And it says the 12 were with him. So the apostles are there. Right. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. And so the picture that we see in the Gospels is, is twofold. We started with the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus spoke this truth to everybody very, very forthright and very honestly at the same time with a certain dignity. And then mm-hmm. we also see then um, that while he called the apostles, as we've already labored in this podcast, um, women were there too, which just goes right. back. And they were participating. And, and and how did they participate? Read through the Gospels. How did they participate? They provided out of their own means. Yep. They cared Financially for supported. Financially, they invited him into their home. They provided yep. meals, which all, goes with, which all goes with that sense of coming alongside and right. and uh, you know a motherhood and caring and nurture right. and providing. Right. Um, it's all there. It's all there, right. and, and there's no violation or change of that. Right. At the same time, if you want to be countercultural, he did lift up women. That's the point. Like even the sinful woman who was this clearly adulterous, you know, woman, he, cre- he treated with respect, gone out of his way to go talk to her. Right. And at the same time, was it spoke truth to her. Right, and saved her. Yep, saved her. And then by the time you get to the end, if we go to the end of the Gospels, it's so fascinating that here are all these, even the apostles are scattering, and yet Jesus and the women are there at, or I mean, uh, Mary Mary and the women are there at the crucifixion, and it looks right. like the apostles kind of got chicken and ran around. And right. so these women just never left Jesus' side. It's an amazing thing. And then the, the final thing here 
than that I kind of bring up if we're just talking about the Gospels. Again, countercultural was that it was women who were the first witnesses of the empty tomb, which right. in that culture would not have been well received. They would not have been able to give a, a, um, even a legal no, witness. Women were right, not, their testimony would not be counted in a court of yeah. law. And yet God lifted that up. Yep. And so I think, Sam, I don't know where you want to entirely go, but if I were to summarize, okay, I would just say this. like, You see from the beginning all the way through the Gospels why there's not this perfectly prescriptive, here's the role of men and women. But what you see Jesus doing is following the same pattern that we saw from the beginning, never coming counter to that pattern ever. Right. At the same time, so, so affirming, if we said this, affirming what male leadership looks like, affirming uh, 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 marriage. But at the same time, he, here's where he was countercultural, is he brought the gospel to women. He treated women with great dignity and allowed these women to minister to his needs and come be part of the mission, which right. I would say fits with what we talked about in Genesis, that Adam had this mission that he was called to, and the woman came alongside of that, not as inferior, but that was her right. role. And together, together, they carried out this mission. That was the yeah. image. Well, that's the image I see here. These women come alongside of the apostles. And you can imagine what they're doing, the hospitality and the meals and the providing, and right down to caring for Jesus's body after the crucifixion. Right. They come back the next morning. Well, what is all that? That's this total fitting with this nature of a woman of nurturing and caring and honestly a boldness and a courage demonstrated in a very feminine way oh it's wonderful and it's a wonderful picture that's the point right and and and, and, and again like and just as um what am i trying to say like there's you know there's been this this thing throughout culture to where culture has drifted off of the good design like oh women shouldn't be educated they shouldn't learn they shouldn't know this stuff like I mean, in, in the Mary and Martha account, Luke 10, and in Luke 10, 38, now yeah, yeah. as they went on their ways, Jesus entered the village and a woman named Martha welcomed him in into her house. Yeah. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but the one one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Yeah. So women have just as much right and are, are encouraged to, okay, like here, like literally sit at the feet of Jesus and learn what he's saying. But again, to learn the scriptures, to 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 learn theology, to... Wait, to wait. Yeah, go ahead, Sam. Right. So all I want to say is that was countercultural because it was boys. That was countercultural too. It, That's it what was, I'm saying. It was like, boys oh. and men who were taught theology in the Bible. Right, right. No, they learn it. And so know your a, Bible. Once again, hear our, once the again, words of right. Jesus. So once again, Jesus was not totally acquiescing to a culture. Is that what we're trying to make the point? He didn't acquiesce and kind of just. Uh, do things because the culture said to do those things. Because clearly he was countercultural, and in in this case he was very countercultural, even in the way he treated women. However, he never left the original patterns and right. form, forms that we see that were from the beginning. That's the point. Right, right. 
and so. nor did he say like some people would would take this passion and say, oh, see, he was he was overturning uh, the role of a woman to serve and to be in the home and you know help cook and things like that. Like he was saying that Martha, what you're doing is wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. No, he's saying. Like no, he's not saying that at all. Like he's just right. saying in this in this scenario, you still have to prioritize knowing me through yeah. through my word. Yeah. But yet, right. So it's not again an overturning of of a a woman's role. Um, nor does it mean that a woman's role is only to to cook and serve and to well, you know, clean the house. Yeah, I forgot about that, Sam. I think what you're referring to there, because I know you've done a little study on that. I, that's to in your metaphor. That's that little bit of a rabbit out of a hat idea again, right? Somebody reads exactly. the, with a preconceived idea of, if I could say, a secular or a feminist lens. Yep. Somebody would read that and say, "See." What's more important here is to go be a uh, student or something of Jesus and not care for the home or do something in the home. That's kind of how they interpret right. that, right? And the, and the issue, and again, it's not even like it's the not whole the discussion point. isn't on learning. The whole dis- what they will then jump to from that is then okay, if if a learner, therefore, then a teacher or uh, someone who exercises authority, someone who is, is able to preach. Because again, the whole like. Egalitarian end goal is that women should and can be leaders of a church and leaders of a family, just like men can. It's either or, yeah. And that's that's where you go, no, yeah. And, and we'll get that in application. And certainly, you. This is where once we get into the Pauline epistles and stuff, that's where we see explicitly stated. Right now, we just have a very clear pattern. Yeah. Yeah. But once once we get to the epistles, now we have a very clear like teaching, imperative teaching to the churches. This is now how you function. Yeah. Which and goes with really... which goes with something and I'm thinking in the future I want to use a different term, but it goes to something again if somebody's just jumping in right now with us here uh, that I want to keep qualifying. And again, I'm probably we're probably going to have to use a different term in the future, but it was always known as progressive revelation. Yeah. But that doesn't mean, as soon as I say that word, people get nervous. It, that's not liberal. That's not a political statement. It just means that God revealed more and more stuff as we go through the scriptures. Right, right. Now, that doesn't mean you get to take a trajectory and go, see, he's still revealing and speaking today in the terms no. he didn't know. No, we have a closed canon of scripture. But we're right. saying from our Bibles, to make it simply, from Genesis to Revelation is an unfolding story that God gave us everything we need for life and godliness in that story from beginning to end. Right. And so right now what we're emphasizing that we see, and there's some real explicit things too, but clearly there's these patterns of men and women that carry itself through for thousands of years. Jesus is affirming that pattern. And when we get to uh, uh, the early church and certainly Paul writing to the early church, the inspired word of God, uh, it gets even clearer, like you said, very uh, specifics mm-hmm. of what how these roles look and what they're to be, mm-hmm. right? And even like specific commands, like yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. That's right. But I'm just saying that when we say progressive, we simply mean uh, it's it's a continual unfolding. And by the time we get to the end of our New Testament, if you want to say it that way, there's a very clear unfolding. 
that fits yep. the pa- but 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 the point is is it fits the pattern that we've been laying out for you from the beginning. Yep. The scriptures yep. are, have this pattern over and over and over and over. Right, and, over. and, it, and it's a sense Paul's like, okay, now this is how you apply the pattern. Boom. Yeah. Right. Tells us. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. I'm glad you told us. So it isn't <laughs> like you know, it isn't like Paul pulled it out, you know, pulled it out of the sky. It isn't like Paul's pulling out a rabbit out of a hat, right? To no. use your metaphor, the rabbit out of the hat. Spirit inspiration. The rabbit out of your hat, using your metaphor, is that. There are people with a preconceived idea in our culture that's only been around for a number of years that come to the scripture and try to take something in scripture and try to make their case. Right. And you just can't do that. You, you right. got to. So. Yep. Well, I think we should wrap it up on that. I think that was a good enough survey yeah. of, of the Gospels. Uh, I think we made our points. Um, yeah. Right. And, and again, we're. Again, as we progress in this discussion and we progress through through the scriptures, uh, what we start to see is further clarity, further clarity, further clarity, further clarity, uh, um, a reaffirming of this good design in, in, in Genesis 1 through 2. And now we're going to move into um, the New Testament epistles. And we might do a little, a little quick look at Acts, some of the things we see there. There's a few things we might want to look at there, uh, but then we'll really get into some of the things Paul has said because he's, he's made some pretty explicit statements and all, and they can, uh, they really, they really can jive with people today, and they do jive with people today. And a lot of the debate on this whole topic comes from what Paul has said. Again, presuppositions. Paul, when Paul speaks, uh, God is speaking ultimately through Paul. Uh, he's using Paul to, you know, write this spirit-inspired scripture that is relevant for us today and applies to us today. Uh, well, and, and Sam, really, I mean, we don't not to labor it now, but like all Paul's doing is being consistent and applying this pattern that's been from the beginning. Yeah, I think exactly. that's what that's what we're trying to say. So, right. Again, I think and I, you, yeah, and I want to go a step further. Not only is he just being deductive uh, and applying the okay. pattern, he is being inspired by the Holy Spirit. Oh, who sure. Is carrying yeah. oh, him yeah. along to yeah. write the very words of God. So right. when Paul writes something in the letter to the Corinthians or the letter, uh, you know, to to Titus or the letter to Timothy, it's God's word. It's God breathed. Yeah. This is God speaking, just as He spoke to Adam in in the garden. Yeah. Yeah, and so both of us have an emphasis here. I, I I got it. Your emphasis, you want to make sure that no, Paul is speaking the very words of God. Very good. Exactly. And I affirm that. At the right. second second thing, all I'm saying is that like you started earlier here, like if we're gonna overturn some pattern that's been there forever, you're gonna have some radical teaching that overturns the pattern. And yeah, you have to, to have something like so, crazy. And, and we really don't have that. What we actually have is people trying to pull a rabbit out of a hat by taking something and going, ah, maybe there's this nuance there that, right, is, right. that isn't there. <laughs> and all I'm then emphasizing is that when we get to Paul, what you'll see is that, again, he's just consistent with the pattern from day one. And exactly. Not, and now he's being very specific in what this yep. looks like in its application right. for the church, which is the world you and I live in. Yep. And what's and again, I think what I started with this as you're wrapping up here, I started today talking about how you can turn a Bible and go, you know, a thousand five hundred years, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing now. People will say, "Well, that's back then." Yeah, like, that's because years because ago. my Bible was written two thousand years ago. I go, well, yeah, that's no different than Jesus on the scene going, "Hey, this goes back four thousand years." Yeah. You see my point? It's like it's like, well, yeah, okay. So it's two thousand years. It doesn't change the truth. No, it's it's not no. way back then. It's not because it was cultural. It's not 
Right. And that was part of our demonstration today is that Jesus certainly wasn't, he was, he, Jesus was God. His interest was the transcendent word of God. His interest wasn't um, offending the culture where that culture needed to be corrected because clearly, even specifically the way he treated women, and we could have talked more too, Sam, about how he even treated certain men, even Gentiles and other things. I mean, he did other things too. Yep. But specifically, we just touched on you know one or two with women. Even the way he dealt with women actually was countercultural, but it yeah. didn't violate the same pattern and flow that we've seen from day right. one. Right. It just it just affirmed it. So, right, exactly. So, all right, all right. That'll wrap. That'll wrap up this one. Uh, thanks for tuning in to uh, this episode on the really on the Gospels and man and woman. Um, again, tune into the next one as we start to dive into the the epistles and the rest of what the New Testament has to say. And whether that's one or two episodes, I have a feeling it'll be two because there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of good texts that we we want to talk about. Um, and then eventually we'll get into just modern day application. What does that look like? What does this look like applied to our day to day? And it's a huge question because if you, I, I don't know if you haven't if you've had your eyes closed and you're living in a dark basement, maybe you don't know. But right now, this is uh, this is as about as front burner of an issue as it gets in our culture today. Really big stuff, even like laws and policies and all this stuff is being wrapped up into. How, what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman and all that comes from that it's a big deal it's a really big deal and so it's important for us to know what our bibles say and it's important for us to stand for truth and so we want to do that so again thanks for listening i hope you've enjoyed it and i really encourage you to share uh this podcast or these episodes with a friend or a family member uh and uh yes again tune into the next one bye